Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff from the past. How have you been feeling, dear? I'm fine. Good, good. Yeah. No no aches and pains? <laughs> no, I always have aches and pains. Oh, you should probably take something for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe some drugs. <laughs> maybe some, like, painkillers. Maybe. You're trying really hard to make a segue, and it's please, not... Please, <laughs> please meet me halfway. Well, I'm, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. Yeah, because uh, it's it's like you read my mind about what we're talking about. What are we talking about We're, we're going to talk about drugs. Yeah. And murder. Oh, okay. And mass murder. <laughs> mass murder? Mass murder, say. yeah. With the drugs. You're going to have to be more specific, dear. I've, I'm lost. I'm swimming. My well, arms are flailing, figuratively. Uh, so, uh, today's topic is, uh, a listener suggestion. Oh. Uh, so, so thank you, Sarah, for sending this in. Uh, today we are going to talk about the Chicago Tylenol murders. Ooh. In 1982. Yeah, that's about right. That is right. (laughs) Uh, several people died from tampered with Tylenol. Oh. And that's what we're going to talk about. Tamper in the Tylenol. Tamper in the Tylenol. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh. I got it. What? Deceased aminophen. No. No? (laughs) No. No. Just no. Uh, So our our story starts Mm -hmm. on uh, September 28th, 1982, when uh, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, uh, she woke up feeling sick. So her parents were like, hey, stay home from school, take this Tylenol, mm-hmm, sleep mm-hmm. it off. Just a little while later, she collapsed in her Elk Grove home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she would later be pronounced dead at the hospital. Oh, oh dear. This is sad already. I said murder! <laughs> yeah, but you didn't say 12-year-olds. We're not going to go younger than that if that helps, okay? Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Uh, everyone else who dies is a, an adult, if that helps. It does, actually. Okay, everyone else, they're adults, they're fine, okay? So the paramedics had no idea what happened to her. Mm-hmm. You know, they were told she was feeling sick, we gave her some Tylenol, and they were like, okay, okay. Like, um, they did grab the bottle of Tylenol that she took and, like, inventoried it mm-hmm. just in case, um, but, you know, nothing weird you would think would be happening from Tylenol. Right. Um, so they really didn't think anything of it. Uh, the Cook County Medical Examiner was notified, uh, but there, you know, wasn't anything suspicious, um, aside from the fact that, like, she just suddenly died and was 12. Um, so She didn't have a massive life insurance policy <laughs> or anything? No. So the plan was to do an autopsy, mm-hmm. as you do in those circumstances when... Well, we don't suspect foul play, but something happened. Something weird was going on. Uh, So that same morning, I think he was around 27. So not a child. We're good. (laughs) Uh, Adam, Adam Janus, he wasn't feeling well, so he stayed home from work. Oh, man, the 80s. Um, Those were the days. (laughs) I mean, you could stay home, but you're still going to work because we all just work here now. So he, he thought he was getting a cold, so he took the day off. Um, mm-hmm. And after he, he picked up his kids from, like, preschool, bought some Tylenol on the way home, and took a couple and said he was going to go lie down. Mm-hmm. Well, he collapsed on the way to doing that. 
and was pronounced dead at the hospital from what they believed was a heart attack. Mm-hmm. The very same day. And so after this, his, you know, his extended family had, like, come to the hospital. There was... A lot of grieving and yeah, shock. Yeah. And they all uh, went back to his Arlington Heights home um, to kind of like process what happened and to help his family, mm-hmm, all that. Mm-hmm. That same day, Mary Rayner was found collapsed in her home. And then a Mary McFarland was found in the back room at work collapsed after complaining of a headache as well. But at this time, like, okay, we have four people who have died, but like... All in different areas of the greater Chicago area. Mm-hmm. No connections, no foul play suspected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just awful circumstances. Uh, so later that day, Adam's younger brother, Stanley, and his wife, Teresa, were both found collapsed at his home as well. After having taken Tylenol from the same bottle that he had taken Tylenol from. This story just, like, goes. Like, <laughs> so so many things we cover, so many things from a historical perspective start with a lead-in. You know, there's a, a, a cause that then develops into this big uh, uh, event. This is just people dropping dead all over the, the inner Chicago suburbs. We'll get to other things okay, later, okay. but right now we... we... But it, it, it stands out for being, one day, a bunch of people died. Yes. <laughs> no warning. No, no warning No, no rising all. action. They were both found collapsed. They were rushed to the hospital. Uh, his brother died, and his sister-in-law was in very critical condition, not expecting to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the medical examiner, same one we talked about earlier, um, had, like, gone home but lived very close to the office and needed to go back and grab something, apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when he did that, they were like, hey, something weird just happened. <laughs> you like, say. That, you know, that one guy died and now his brother is dead and his sister-in-law is probably going to be dead soon, too. Something, mm-hmm. Something's going on. You probably have to come back into work and, like, stay here for a while. Uh, investigators and doctors were trying to, like, figure out what happened. Like, what is going on? There's got to be something that they were exposed to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, this is very strange. And then they started to put some things together, like, hey, there was that 12-year-old, too, who just, like, suddenly died earlier today. That was weird. (laughs) Is there there anything going on? Mm -hmm. Um, so police went to the house... Mm-hmm. of Adam, mm-hmm. and, you know, they walked in expecting to be like, okay, there, there's got to be something here. Something that, like, screams something happened. Mm-hmm. They were exposed to something. And there was, like, nothing out of the ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of very sad, confused people. Yes. They did, like, gather several things, including the bottle of Tylenol. Uh-huh. Um, and And took several things back with them mm-hmm. to kind of check out. The investigators eventually, like, got their hands on these bottles of Tylenol. Right. The details of exactly, like, how they got them, I don't know. But eventually they were handed (laughs) off. And they realized that the control number on both bottles were the same. Ah, the same batch. So they're like, okay, maybe this is a thing. Uh, So the investigator called the medical examiner, and they talked about what was going on. And the medical examiner instructed him to 
open the bottles and see <laughs> if anything looked weird or if there was maybe like a weird smell or something. Mm-hmm. Everything looked fine, but the investigators like, wow, they smell like almonds. Ooh, bum bum bum. Well, if you don't know, cyanide is described as having a bitter almond smell. Mm-hmm. It was probably cyanide is <laughs> what they go. assumed right away. You figured it out. You cracked the case. <laughs> Everybody uh, can go home now. Um, interesting fact, though, about uh, the smell of cyanide is that about 20 to 40 percent of the population does not carry the gene needed to smell it. Huh. So, like, don't assume that you're out of the hook from possibly getting poisoned by cyanide with, like, out your knowledge. Because mm-hmm. you might not be able to smell it. Yeah. I think this is the thing I really want to know about me. It's like, <laughs> can I smell cyanide? Like, I would like to test this. Is there a place I can go and test if I can smell it? Yeah, I don't know where they stock that in, in Mariano's to, to do a, a test. I am not sure there's ever been something I wanted so much in my life. As to, like, cyanide? <laughs> know if i can smell it okay oh like don't sure, aren't you sure. curious to know like can i smell it <laughs> i want to know Are, i okay there's one item on your birthday list but i don't know if i can get it for you <laughs> i might have been googling that on my work computer <laughs> which might end up being very bad i just want to smell it i promise i just want to smell it i just want to know if i think it smells like almonds so they had a hunch, which was a pretty good hunch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the medical examiner was also like, man, really glad that investigator is one of those people that can smell it because <laughs> that could have been bad. So they uh, also did some blood tests and, of course, testing to confirm on the pills if there was cyanide. Every- yes, there was cyanide. Oh, OK. <laughs> like, oh, the suspense was killing right? me. Yeah. Pieces started to come together, um, and they were realizing, okay, all these people took Tylenol, and these bottles all had cyanide present in the capsules. Something's going on here. And then (laughs) as more of those other people became known that they died, they started to realize it was more than just, you know, four people. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, So Johnson & Johnson, who is the maker of Tylenol, uh, was notified of the connection to their product. And in a press release that day, people were told to not take it. Just don't (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. Mm -mm. Something's up. We don't know what. Just don't do it. Uh, And later that day, Johnson & Johnson uh, placed a recall out for all the products from the same lot number. Right. Trying to take some safety precautions immediately, because mm-hmm. who knows what's going on. Another victim, uh, Paula Prince, who was the f- in Chicago, um, she lived in the Old Town area, she was found the next morning, also collapsed in her apartment and dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, having very recently, like, the day she came home, bought Tylenol from a local store uh... and took some. Uh, So the Chicago mayor, Jane Byrne, announced that uh, they would be pulling all the Tylenol from the shelves in Chicago. If only things named after her were as fast as that. Freaking Jane Byrne interchange. (laughs) What are we on? Year 12? It's never going to be finished. There's two more to go. It's never going to be finished. They're going to have to start repaving the stuff that they built 
12 years ago. <laughs> Pe- people were starting to to hear and know, like, something's up. Don't take the Tylenol. They were, you know, it was on the media. Something's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they also sent, uh, like, police cars out with, like, loudspeakers, like, saying... Don't take Tylenol, please. <laughs> if you if you bought some, if you have some, just like don't sleep off your headache, okay? Please. There's, there's so many things with the same active ingredient. It's not like <laughs> unique. Yes, and and that's something is that at this time they're just concerned about the Tylenol brand pain reliever, not other pain relievers. Yeah. Um, they hadn't yet figured out like the specifics. But they did know it was just Tylenol. Nobody taking Advil is dying in their bathroom. That we know of. Uh. As things continued, um, within a couple days, the recall would be expanded nationwide. um, And Johnson & Johnson completely stopped all advertising of Tylenol products. Mm -hmm. They pulled everything from the media. Um, The recall would equal about 31 million bottles um, or about... 200 or 265 million dollars worth of product mm-hmm. so nationwide there's a lot of tylenol out there where did they put them is there a landfill that's just full of of pills you know that is a great question and i have <laughs> no idea and possibly cyanide uh so so during all of this um you know they're they're also like starting to investigate the stuff that's pulled off the shelves, looking for more things that have cyanide. And Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. only a few more bottles would be found in the Chicago area that were contaminated with cyanide. Okay. So it was a very, like, controlled amount. Sure. Like, in total, a dozen bottles Mm -hmm. that were tampered with somehow with cyanide. Of course, calls started to come in. People who thought they had leads or information. Some of it, you know, was people who honestly thought they had something to share. And then there was other people who were just taking advantage of the situation and wanted to be involved. Those darn cyanide pranksters. Yeah, actually, yeah. They also got a lot of calls from people who were like, Oh no, I took Tylenol. Am I going to be okay? And they're like... If you're calling us right now, you're fine. <laughs> you would have died already. Yeah, it seemed to be a very fast-acting cyanide dose well, from, from how all the deaths were described. The amount of cyanide was, like, way more than needed to kill someone. Per individual pill. Per individual pill. It was a lot. It, it was honestly instant. Mm-hmm, like, they mm-hmm. took it, they walked across their house, they were down. Mm-hmm. There was honestly no way to save these people with the, like, dosage that they took. Right, right. We have people dead. Mm -hmm. We know something's up with Tylenol. We know it's cyanide. We know that there's several bottles, but we're also still not sure, like, how many might actually be out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They haven't yet fully confirmed, like, there is only, like, 12 bottles. (laughs) Um, Investigation is continuing. So after about a week... A letter arrived to Johnson & Johnson from someone who demanded $1 million to make it stop. Ooh. Uh, they said to wire the money or else they would make a few calls and it would undo anything you could possibly do to stop this. Bum, bum, bum. Well, within 
hours, the FBI had identified who it was because <laughs> fingerprints and, you know, postage and stamps. He, he signed it. Uh. <laughs> uh, and so they found out that it was someone named James William Lewis. Um, he was a former resident of Chicago who actually lived out of state in New York okay. during this time. For weeks after, the investigation really focused on him, but they didn't have any evidence of anything other than this letter mm-hmm. trying to get money. And, you know, it could have been anybody trying to claim to be uh, the, the murderer in order to extract a ransom. In, there were a lot of phone calls. Yeah, in in theory. <laughs> Um, So one of the reasons that they were probably kind of suspicious of him, however, was due to some previous charges that had been put against him. Okay. So we're going to we're going to do a little side story here (laughs) about our buddy Lewis. Uh, He's no friend of mine. Don't don't you put me in. in, No, thank you. uh, So in 1978, he was charged with a Kansas City murder. Of a guy named Raymond West. A Kansas City murder sounds like a play (laughs) that I would be very bored at. Yeah. So Raymond West was found uh, by police in his own attic, dismembered. Oh, okay. And like decaying. Um, And West had been a former uh, client of Lewis. Uh, Lewis Mm -hmm. did taxes. Okay. Before they found him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a longtime friend of West by the name of Charles Banker uh, became very concerned when he couldn't reach West. Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually West answered his phone, called him back, all that. So It was the 70s. Everybody was calling people on the phone. <laughs> That's what we did back then. So he went to his house, mm-hmm. like you did in the 70s, and uh, found all the doors locked. Um, no one was answering, but... West's car was still there. Ah. So he called the police and uh, the police came and they didn't really see anything that was out of, you know, like strange. Everything looked normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they did ask Banker, though, like, who else might know where West is or have talked to him? And so he mentioned a few people, including the tax man, which was Lewis. Mm-hmm. The cops did call Lewis, and he was like, oh, yeah, Wes said he had gone on a trip for a few days. Um, He should be back in a bit. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, Banker was not, like, satisfied with this at all, because Lewis had said that Wes went on a trip with a girl, and he's like, Wes hasn't had a relationship in, like, 30 years. Whoa, 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 (laughs) dude, you don't have to be sharing that. Bro code, come on. Uh, he was also like, West never, like, goes anywhere without telling me where he's going. <laughs> so this this is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Banker ended up filing a missing persons report, and he ended up going back to the house and suddenly found a note uh, written on Lewis and Lewis letterhead <laughs> that said, uh, Ray's out of town for further info, call Jim, which Banker thought was weird. Like, why is this suddenly up? Also, he noticed that one of the, like, shades was in a different position than it was before when he was there. So, like, someone had been inside. Mm -hmm. So he called the police again, and they came. And, you know, they went inside, and they're like, well, nothing's really, like, wrong in here. Everything (laughs) looks okay. Um, But they did find a note. A note? And the note said, please 
Don't disturb until after one, sleeping late, Raymond. Far too many notes for my taste. Well, Banker's like, okay, that's not his handwriting. <laughs> and he never goes by Raymond. He's always Ray. Something's up. Banker, like, went and bought, like, a new set of door locks. And, like, gave the police a set of keys because that totally made it okay to do this to, like, your buddy's house, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the 70s. Things Imagine are weird. if he had just gone out on a trip with a girl for a week or two. He comes back and, what? What happened here? Banker, you used to be my friend. So while he was changing out the locks that the police were like, yeah, that's totally fine and normal to do. <laughs> uh, Lewis came by and was apparently very, like, worked up about what was happening and, like, why are you doing that? Um, you know how the tax man always uh, uh, makes house calls when you are apparently out of the house for a week? That's normal, right? That's very normal. He lived close by. Sure, sure. But he, he left, but Banker saw him in his car, like, down the street for a while, <laughs> like, kind of parked behind a van, and then the van moved, and he, like, really saw him, and he just hung out there for a while, and then he left. Banker should change his name to Detective. <laughs> Banker didn't come back to the house for a few weeks, and West sure didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he, he came back and went inside, and there was quite a smell. Quite a smell on this summer day. So he called the police, who came back, and that's when they found the remains in the attic that have been, like, roasting in 90-some degree Kansas City heat. And the first suspect is this girl he went on a trip with. What happened to her? Where is she? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, so they were able to identify that it was West, but there was no cause of death. You know, no bullet wound, <laughs> stab wound, like nothing that said this is like why he died. Mm -hmm. But he was dismembered, so I'm kind of like, maybe it was because he was dismembered, but apparently they thought that that happened after the fact, after mm -hmm. he was dead. Mm -hmm. um, it's the easier way to do it, to be fair. So the only thing they had to go off of uh, was a check for $5,000 drawn from West's bank account, dated July 23rd, and paid to James Lewis. Man, it costs so much to pay somebody to dismember you these days. And Lewis was all like, it was a loan. He gave me a loan. I picked it up like earlier that morning. Not, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, Banker's all like, okay, no, no, no. West was a tightwad with his money. He would not have loaned you $5, let alone $5,000. No, 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 sir. Uh, he, he'd never been in a relationship for 30 years because they were in a relationship? Because this dude seems to know everything about his friend and be very protective of his memory. I'm not going to lie that that thought did not cross my mind. I totally like was like, um, Baker, <laughs> you know your buddy really well. Maybe they're just really close friends, but sure, I have sure. some thoughts here. It's um, 1978. Some things have to remain undercover. I, I get it. Um, I don't want to speculate. I want to speculate. <laughs> I thought about it. Uh, the police went to Lewis's home and they handcuffed him and took him downtown and questioned him and got him to sign uh, a consent to search. Um, so it allowed police to search his home and his office and his vehicle. 
mm-hmm. uh, which they did. And they did find in his car some rope. Okay. Uh, some papers with Wes's name. M- makes sense. I mean, I... <laughs> He's a tax guy. If, if I had an accountant on retainer, they might have papers with my name. Uh, and a bundle of Wes's checks. Which... Now we're, now we're getting into suspicious. So they took him into custody and charged him with capital murder. But he continued to insist that he did not do it. So with that, we're going to take a break and <gasps> give the dog a snack. Okay. Very <laughs> important part of our process. Yes. You ready? You ready to find out what happened to our our buddy Lewis? Yes. Who might not be our buddy because he might be a murderer. He might be a murderer and a dismemberer, and he might also be another kind of murderer, also. Yes. And extortionist. Yes. He's definitely He's an def- attempted extortionist. Yes. Yes. He, you know, had these charges for murder. Long story short, in the end, the prosecutor asked for a dismissal of the case. Uh-huh. Because Lewis's defense attorney had successfully argued that police had no probable cause to arrest him in the first time mm-hmm. and didn't uh, read him his Miranda rights. Mm-hmm. So everything that came after was inadmissible. Correct. He won for the right reason, actually. Yep. Yeah. So the charges were dropped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the judge ruled that the police searched his home illegally. Mm-hmm. Did he murder that guy? Don't know. Did he most likely dismember that guy? For sure. I know somebody who believes he absolutely did. <laughs> yes. The good story is that he definitely murdered a guy, cut him up into little pieces and got away with it. But there is nothing but the most circumstantial of evidence mm-hmm. to tie him to. Like, who wouldn't want to just, like, sit and watch this dude change another dude's locks? There is nothing good on TV in 1978. <laughs> so, uh, back back to our, uh, I was going to say present day, but no, it's not present day. It's now in 1982. Back to the future of 1982. Uh, they, you know... Continued to investigate him, but but nothing ever happened. They never got any evidence <laughs> connecting him to the Tylenol murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, he was convicted of extortion. Well, there uh, you go. And he did serve 13 uh, years out of his 20-year sentence for that letter he sent. Then he was paroled and lived with, lives with his wife mm-hmm. on the East Coast. What are, what are those prison conversations like? What are you in for? I sent a letter. People got real upset. <laughs> so, uh, Lewis, not our guy. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, surveillance footage of Paula Prince purchasing her Tylenol. Paula Prince purchased pills at by the seashore. <laughs> Paula Prince wore her purple pants to purchase pills at Paul- At Walgreens. At Paul Greens. <laughs> Paul Greens. Uh, in, in the footage... Um, there is a bearded man that uh, stands a few feet behind her that there was a lot of speculation that that, that was the, the person. Mm-hmm. That was the person doing this. Somehow, like, tampering post-sale with the, the bottles on the shelves. 
and yeah. and then like lurking in wait to watch someone buy them for the thrill. Yeah. So okay. I feel like I skipped something because we were actually supposed to talk about that. Okay. Uh, so what what they had figured out was it was not a manufacturing thing. Okay. Uh, the cyanide did not get into the pills in a factory. It's mm-hmm. something that happened after they were out in stores. So the control number matching on the two bottles was apparently a wild coincidence? Yes. Whoa. Um, so what they believed was happening was that someone over several weeks purchased bottles of Tylenol mm-hmm. or stole. Maybe they didn't pay for them. Sure. But got bottles of Tylenol that um, were all capsules, mm-hmm. took them and emptied them out and replaced the inside of the capsules with cyanide. Okay, cool. So there's no Tylenol in there at all. And that's why the dose was so dang high. Yeah. Entire pill full of uh, cyanide. Yes. Okay. And so after doing that, they went back to stores and put the Tylenol back on the shelf. Because mm-hmm. um, this is a time before tamper-proof packaging. I was gonna ask. This is when you could just open it and get to the pills. And cap- capsules, if you're not familiar, come apart. Mm-hmm. Like, it is not a solid pill. It's not a caplet. Those didn't exist yet. Capsules, you know, you pull them apart and you push them back together. Yeah, yeah it's very old-fashioned, frankly. I don't think they make them anymore. Certainly not for over-the-counter things. There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about the reason right now. Yeah, okay. I gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what happened. Um, and there was also, like, some of the bottles, what they found, like, not every single pill was cyanide. Uh-huh. It was like half the bottle was, or like this one, the whole bottle was, you know, there was a little bit of like Russian roulette, I guess, happening with that certain bottles of like, what one are you going to get? Mm-hmm. The problem with Russian roulette in pills is, you know, you take two and you might have a dirty pair and they might be totally clean. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So that is also why there ends up only being a dozen bottles of this is because it was done by hand by like uh, someone. It, it seems a little labor intense. Yes. Way, way easier to just jump, dump a bucket of cyanide into the machine that makes the actual capsule sleeves. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're looking for a person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Lewis. Maybe it's Beardy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Beardy just wants to get some Tylenol, too, and she's standing right? in the way. Who Why knows? Why are you so suspicious of Beardy? I, I have to wonder, what, the, what was he rubbing his hands like, like slightly <laughs> whiplash? It's like, like, oh, you know, you don't want that one. You want that one. That one's better. <laughs> Someone sneezed on the other one. <laughs> so another uh, suspect that came was uh, Roger Arnold. He was investigated and eventually cleared. I actually could never find out exactly why they thought he was a suspect. Like, no one ever talked about that because of the crazy (laughs) that happened after. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they thought he was beardy. Maybe. But Arnold ended up having a nervous breakdown uh, due to all the media attention from when he was a suspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he blamed Marty Sinclair someone he knew for all of it. He he said that Marty was the reason that the focus was put on him and that why no one would leave him alone. Okay. So in the summer of 1983, he 
wanted to seek revenge on Marty. Mm-hmm. And he went to kill him. Oh, oh, this is a prank war gone too far. But he ended up mistaking this other guy, John, for him and killed John. Everybody in this whole story has placeholder names. <laughs> yeah. There's even a dude named Banker instead of a real name. <laughs> Uh, so Arnold, uh, was convicted of that murder the following year, because, you know, he shot a guy, and everyone knew, and he was like, oops, wrong dude, but they're like, no oops, you still shot him. <laughs> so, so he, you know, went to jail, but he was not the murderer with Tylenol. Or maybe he was, maybe Marty was onto something. So in 1983, the FBI, with permission from the families. Uh, requested that the Chicago Tribune publish the address, the home address, and the address of the cemetery that was connected to uh, the 12-year-old who was killed. The the very first Tylenol death. Yes. They hoped that this being public knowledge would somehow draw out the killer and make them, you know, come to one of those locations for uh, some reason. We're just betting on this uh, uh, killer being a real sicko. Yes. Yeah. They did that, and they had 24-hour surveillance on those locations, and nothing ever happened. No one ever came. Um, So that didn't pan out with a suspect. Uh, For a while, they also also thought um, Laura Dan uh, might be a suspect. Um, She, in May of 1988, she went on a shooting rampage in Winnetka and killed a bunch of people. And then they were like, hmm, maybe you were the Tylenol murderer. (laughs) But... There was no direct connection ever found to that. So you're, you're telling me that the police were so lost for leads and clues. They had, they had so little to go on. They're just asking each other, who do you know that likes to kill people? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this incident with the Tylenol would inspire hundreds of other copycats across the U.S. Uh, the FDA actually uh, logged about 270 different incidents of product tampering in the month following the deaths. Mm-hmm. In 1986, uh, an anonymous caller phoned Procter & Gamble and was like, hey, I put cyanide in capsules of max- maximum strength in Caprin at Walgreens in Chicago and Detroit. And People that- gonna die. And that's why I've never heard of Encaprin. <laughs> uh, it, it's basically just a different, like, maximum strength excedrin thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It had caffeine. <laughs> um, so it ended up getting removed from store shelves uh, through a nationwide recall and advisories were put out for people not to take it. But within a month, they realized that it was a hoax, um, partly because there was no Walgreens in Detroit at the time. <laughs> um, and also no evidence of tampering was found. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, The same year, um, a University of Texas student was found dead from cyanide in his apartment, um, and they thought that that might have been from tampering from anison capsules, which was just, again, another pain reliever. Um, But then it was later believed he actually committed suicide and got the cyanide from a lab. Mm -hmm. So they thought there was like something else going on, but then no, it's not a thing at all. Man, it's the 80s. Can't we just blame, like, satanic cults and, and role-playing games or something? How about loud music? Yeah. But no, it's always got to be tampered drugs. <laughs> they 
did not find another like suspect. No one to this day has actually been charged mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. this crime at all. Um, after the 25th anniversary, there was a whole lot of, you know, new tips that came in, like always happens when there's an anniversary and the story gets put back into the media. Right. Now, in early 2009, they did uh, renew the investigation. Yeah, the FBI searched uh, the home of Lewis in Massachusetts, um, seizing several items. And in 2010... Were uh, any of those items body parts? <laughs> Just curious. They did not say. Okay. I feel like they would have said if it... Yeah. Okay. Uh, in 2010, they had him and his wife submit DNA samples and fingerprinting. But, you know, he continues to deny any responsibility with the poisonings. He's like, I was just someone trying to take advantage. I'm not that bad of a person. <laughs> I just wanted a million dollars. I didn't kill anybody. I just wanted you to think that I could kill a lot of people. Yeah. I'm uh, not crazy. Uh, in 2011, the FBI also requested uh, DNA samples from the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Mm-hmm. Uh, he denied having any involvement or any possession of cyanide ever. But they thought there might be connections because the first four Unabomber crimes did happen in the Chicago area in the late 70s, early 80s. And his parents lived in Lombard, which is the Chicago suburb, during the time this was all happening. Mm-hmm. So they're like, mm, eh? Meh? Eh? maybe? Again, who do we know that likes to kill people? Seriously, they're literally just going down a list. Like, <laughs> who haven't we tried? I don't know. I guess we could try that person. <laughs> Did Jim Jones ever mess with Tylenol? I don't, I don't know. Within uh, months of the murders happening, uh, the way we purchase and consume over-the-counter medicines completely changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnson & Johnson actually worked very closely with uh, the FDA to create new and improved, uh, like, anti-tamper-proof packaging, Mm -hmm. which included things like the induction seal that we have over the opening so the thing that's often like foil or yeah, paper yeah, yeah. Or foam um also the like tamper evident band so like when you open like a bottle of pop or um a bottle of pills like there's something that normally breaks off yeah 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 also the sh- like shrink wrap plastic that's <laughs> over lids that all came from this mm-hmm so in uh, 1983, uh, U.S. Congress passed the Tylenol Bill, as it was nicknamed, which made it a federal offense to tamper with consumer products. Uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. Don't you do it. The first person to be charged under this was Stella, Stella Nickel, mm-hmm. um, who got charged for something very similar we're going to talk about. Uh, so in June 1986, mm-hmm. uh, Stella's husband came home from work with a headache. That's how it always starts. And took some Excedrin. Maybe people should stop getting headaches. Have we tried that? Can you not get headaches? They're uh, apparently fatal. Uh, and he died shortly after from what they believed was natural causes. Uh, about a week later, another woman died. Her name was Sue Snow after taking two Excedrin capsules. Her husband also took some of that Excedrin, but was fine. He did not die. Oh. And the medical examiner detected the scent of almonds from her body. (laughs) (laughs) 
And maybe she was making cookies. Can can we consider? She, she the dropped some in? almond extract on her. Yes. No. Apparently, if you die from cyanide, your decaying body smells like almonds. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, just to make sure, though, he did some tests to verify that yes, she did and die, indeed die from cyanide. The bottle was also tested, and it was found that of the sixty of the sixty capsules remaining, three were laced with cyanide. Wow, those are bad odds. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't want one, but still. Another tainted bottle was found at a nearby grocery store as well, and then a recall happened for all Excedrin products across the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, suspicion was directed at the company, which probably sounds kind of familiar with Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and both um, Nichols and Sue's husband filed wrongful death lawsuits against them. Mm-hmm. So a nationwide recall happened on Excedrin. Mm-hmm. And then another cyanide-contaminated drug, this time, though, Anacin-3, was found in the same store that Sue bought her Excedrin. So Washington state actually put a 90-day ban into effect on non-prescription medication capsules. I no th- one could buy anything. I thought Anison 2 was pretty good, but Anison 3, they're just really milking it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But the Anison 4, that's where it's at. Well, that's a reboot. You know, <laughs> they, they, they reinvigorated the Anison franchise. Yeah. Yeah. So the FBI was testing the capsules, and in addition to cyanide, the capsules contained flecks of a green substance that they eventually found out to be algaecide, which is used in home aquariums. Algaecide, an algae killer. Yes. Ah. So they ruled out, again, that the company did anything and began focusing on local product tampering. Both spouses mm-hmm. were asked to take polygraph, but Nickel was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that They thought that was a little weird. But mm-hmm. then they got suspicious when she claimed that the two contaminated bottles of Excedrin that she had given them came from two different locations. And they're like, wait, we've only found like five bottles and you have two that you claim got from different spots. Like it would have made sense if they were from the same store, but you're saying you got them from different stores. This is the unluckiest woman in all of Seattle. She also did what every, like, stupid murderer does. Mm -hmm. It's your favorite thing. Uh, She had taken out a total of $76,000 in life insurance on her husband. (laughs) Respect the classics, okay? Um, And it had a payout of about $100,000 if the death was deemed an accident. (laughs) You know those accidental product tampering. So uh, before Sue died, Mm -hmm. the other victim, uh, she had apparently repeatedly fought with like doctors and investigators and stuff like that her husband's death was of natural causes. Mm -hmm. She was like, no, it wasn't. It totally wasn't. This is definitely an accident. Definitely an accident. I know an accident when I see one. So eventually that came out. Can't you just nudge the ladder while he's cleaning the gutters (laughs) like a normal murderous housewife? Come on. The FBI... uh, What were the garden shears doing there? My goodness. The FBI also found out that she uh, had purchased... She had purchased LG side. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also they found out that at least two of the signatures on her husband's life insurance policies had been forged. (laughs) 
someone should learn her history about life insurance and murder because she's doing bad. So in November of 1986, she took a polygraph and failed. Mm -hmm. And uh, they focused even more on her, though they actually had no evidence that she had ever bought cyanide. Oh, she grew it herself. (laughs) So in January of 1987, her grown daughter uh, approached police and she was like, hey, my mom has wanted to kill my dad for a really long time. You know, who Uh, hasn't been there? Honestly, this is America. She's totally tried to poison him before, but like it didn't stick. So uh, then she started researching how to kill him even more. (laughs) And she totally said that like we'd splint the insurance money. (laughs) Um, so records from the local library uh, show that Nickel had checked out numerous books about poisons, um, one of which was never returned. One of the other ones that she did return, they were able to pull her fingerprints from the page about cyanide. <laughs> this is some in the name of the rose <laughs> stuff. Umberto Eco wrote this murder. <laughs> and this is why I'm worried about my Google history. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, dear. We all know you don't want to kill me that much. Not by cyanide at all. No. <laughs> no. No. So Nichols was arrested on December 9th, 1987 and went to trial in 1988. Uh, she was found guilty on five counts of product tampering. But uh, also the murder, right? And two deaths. Okay. okay. Yes. Uh, and was sentenced to 90 years. Um, technically, it was like 90 years, 90 years, 10 and 10 and 10, but... All concurrent, so 90 years. She tried to, like, fight it throughout the years, like, tried to get parole, tried to get the case redone, but Mm -hmm, none of that mm -hmm. ever happened. Because, lady, you did everything wrong. (laughs) You did all of it wrong. It was working really good until people, like, started looking at things. (laughs) Until she had to open her mouth, she did everything right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the thing that's really interesting about that is, you know, we have... She poisoned her husband and then tried to cover it up. By poisoning a neighbor, essentially. By poisoning random people. Yes. By doing exactly what the Tylenol murders were, where you replace capsules with cyanide Mm -hmm. and put it on store shelves and then wait for people to die. So then you can be like, my husband died a mysterious death too. Insurance fraud. Come on. I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for my meddling self. But it it makes you like, okay, it makes you wonder about like the Tylenol murders. Like, was it a case of someone wanting to be like a serial killer? Or was it the case of someone who wanted to do that, but then like read up on their history about insurance fraud and realized, oh boy, that ain't gonna work. (laughs) Let's try something different. So, I mean, the, the case we do know about, the case that has an actual culprit, the Seattle case, she would have been fine if it was just her husband. All, all these, this 90 year sentence, I, these other deaths all came from her trying to get the extra tens of thousands of dollars for the accidental death. Yeah. She, she just wanted to increase the margin. She would have been fine. She would have gotten like some life insurance payout. Quite a bit, actually. But no, she wanted the accidental. Mm-hmm. And that's where she went wrong. She got greedy. <laughs> Take what you can get and walk away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so in 1989, the FDA established federal guidelines for manufacturers to 
make products tamper-proof. And in most cases, it required, like, included a minimum of, like, two layers of tamper-proof packaging, um, Mm -hmm, especially mm -hmm. for two-piece capsules. Yes. Various things like that. Um, Around this time, caplets were also introduced and became the thing that basically took over the market. People moved away from capsules, Mm -hmm. and caplets became a better alternative um, because you couldn't tamper with them. They were coated (laughs) in something. Um, that made them still, like, easy to swallow, but you can't fiddle with them. Right. Uh, so Johnson & Johnson was praised for their response to the incident, and they, Mm -hmm. it's often said that they are the example of what major corporations should do when caught in a crisis situation. Take everything off the shelves, throw it away somewhere. And, like, immediately. Immediately, Not, not yeah. you know, weeks later, but, like... That same day. The day of, yeah. Um, and because of, uh, you know, their involvement also not only in the recall, but then of trying to create new ways to stop this from happening in the future with tamper-proof packaging. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. After this happened, their market share collapsed um, from 35%. To 8%. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, who's going to buy Tylenol? People don't Z- want to buy Tylenol. Zero people. But they were able to bounce back really well because actually in no- by November, they had created enough new stuff with like tamper-proof packaging that they reintroduced the product with a triple seal package mm-hmm. um, and a heavy price promotion. Hey, that cheap drugs. <laughs> within several years, they actually had the highest market share. There you go. Good job, Tylenol, the comeback kid. Um, so though that they were like, you know, praised for this and did re- a really great thing in, in 1982 with how they reacted, um, they seem to have forgotten that because like <laughs> in 2010, it was revealed that the company uh, secretly bought up defective drugs without informing the government or consumers. Well, why would you want to tell consumers about that? That's just silly. Uh, the FDA found out when... Someone anonymously sent them a memo that uh, was about the what they deemed the Motrin scheme. Mm-hmm. And that was where they instructed contract workers to go into stores and buy Motrin, almost 90,000 bottles of Motrin, <laughs> and bring it back to them. Mm-hmm. It was a phantom recall. Without oh, ever okay. telling anyone that it was happening. So getting stuff off the shelves, but without making any sort of news about it. They're like, go buy this stuff and bring it back and tell no one. <laughs> now, these drugs weren't going to kill people, but they they were not made right. They were not. They did not work properly. Mm-hmm. You should tell people. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Johnson and Johnson should also do their history, um, just like our our friend Nickel should read up on life insurance policy history. She doesn't have a lot else to do with her day, I, I guess. Now, Serving yeah. a few concurrent 90-year sentences. That uh, That is where we are with the Tylenol murders. To this day, it remains unsolved. There's, mm-hmm. you know, they keep going back to Lewis, but they they really got <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, um, yeah. We can thank it for bringing us the tamper-proof packaging we have today mm-hmm. um, and for the move away from capsules which i can't even think of the last time i ever bought a capsule (laughs) of something so darlin what did you learn i mean i guess i learned that if you want to kill a lot of people and get away with it the the distance methods the very interpersonal methods are best yeah 
because you can cover your trail as long as you don't have to be within miles of the person you're killing. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that cyanide smells like almonds. <laughs> and That's I was like... also trying to Google, like, I really wanted to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, it's a gene, like whatever gene it is that allows you to smell it. I'm like, what else does that affect? Is there other <laughs> things you can smell or can't smell without that gene? Is it related to the cilantro gene? I was trying to Google this, and then I was like, you know, I've Googled things with cyanide now a lot. Maybe I should stop. Maybe I should cut back. So if anyone knows, let me know. Sure, sure, yeah, why not? I want to know. What? Why do you want to know? So Is it for self-defense? So you'll just go around smelling things, (laughs) confident in the knowledge of whether it does or does not have cyanide? I mean, I do kind of like the idea that I would know if someone is trying to poison me. Mm-hmm. Not that I think anyone would. There are lots of other poisons, though. <laughs> well, with cyanide specifically, sure, like I, sure. I would be safe from it. Um, but also, I feel like that's a great like party story. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I feel like it's a good party fact. <laughs> like my friend's dad invented Cool Ranch Doritos. I can smell cyanide. Did you know you can smell cyanide? Only so many people can. Most people can. Like, that's, I think that's the most famous fact about cyanide. It's something that's in every, like, uh, uh, Agatha Christie wannabe mystery. I don't read those, the so I've missed this. the scent of, of cyanide. I've Better missed almonds. this. Yeah. I don't, I don't read, I don't read that. I think <laughs> I've been surrounded too much by arsenic in stories. Right. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's my uh, literary drug of choice, arsenic. <laughs> What's your literary drug of choice? The juice. The juice. So with that, we're going to take another quick break and be back with your letters. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. I hope you're feeling well. And not poisoned, because we have letters to read. Letters! Uh, So our first letter is from Final Gamer. Hello again. uh, Who was very fascinated by the tomato story. Uh, (laughs) Like, the the real one, Uh, not the fake one. Yeah. Uh, And that's because it reminded them of the Jaffa Cake Tribunal in the UK in in, in 1991. Mm -hmm. An argument whether this treat was... Cake or a biscuit? It says cake in the name, so uh, I'm coming down on that side. <laughs> so in the UK, there's a value-added tax is paid on chocolate-covered biscuits, but not chocolate-covered cakes for some reason. <laughs> um, and the system is apparently incredibly stupid with what it categorizes as luxury goods. Mm-hmm. So Jaffa Cake made the argument in court that it was not a chocolate-covered biscuit. It was a chocolate-covered cake due to its sponge ingredients, and because, unlike a biscuit, the cake got hard and stale like cake does, so, like, obviously it's cake. Uh, I love that as a legal definition. When it gets stale, does it get harder or softer? And that tells you what kind of food it is. Right? That's so smart, actually. Uh, And the court did find in favor of them, and so they no longer pay the value-added tax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never actually had those, but from what I understand, those are, like, exactly like the the Polish version that we buy all the time. 
They're similar. They they are of a family. They are very similar. Yeah. With the spongy cookie thing and, Mm -hmm. excuse me, cake. (laughs) It's cake. And and then a a fruit filling of of a sort. And and chocolate to seal it all in. Yeah, 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 they're good. Final Game War also answers uh, the prompt of favorite plant, yeah, which are the the Koroks from Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I love them. They make little jingly noises when they walk. They're the best. I've probably seen them. Yeah, I got. Okay, you're gonna see them. I'm sure I've seen them. You're gonna see them. Okay, I'm gonna see them. Oh my god, I love them. Yes, I love them. His name is Makar, and he loves to play music. Aww. <laughs> Well, thank you, Final Gamer. (laughs) Sam writes in, and his favorite plant is shared with my own. Audrey, too, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sam actually played uh, uh, the plant uh, in a production a few years ago. When Sam's mother came to see the show, she was convinced that that wasn't him providing the voice. She was entirely fooled. (laughs) Did not recognize her own son singing coming out out of that uh, puppet mouth. Sam's favorite thing to happen in 2020 is growing his hair long enough to tie it back, which is a a liberating experience, apparently. (laughs) I could never get used to that. It has to get past a certain point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like when I had a beard earlier this year, you got to get past the itchy stage. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But with hair, it's getting past the irritating, what's it doing with my ears stage. Yeah. See, I can't go... to the point of where I can't tie it back. <laughs> that is something I can never do. I will never have a pixie cut. I will never do that because I have to be able to pull my hair back. <laughs> okay. Uh, but Sam also established a small Smash Brothers community this year uh, uh, in his hometown. They started a weekly tournament in January. Uh, they, they haven't gotten together since March, obviously. But they've been suffering through the, the net code best as you can with Smash. So, so good luck to you all in the new year. Sam also asks if I'm sourcing my topics from uh, Bill Bryson's book, One Summer. And no. Uh, I've, I've not read it. I'm not familiar. It's just, uh, uh, I, I guess we have similar taste in picking topics. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Riv writes in, uh, for the first time since pre-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's going to be a phrase a lot of us use even more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We always did, like, the before times. Those ancient days. <laughs> You know, it's been a really long year. The Halcyon Age. <laughs> and uh, so Riv picked uh, three prompts to answer that Ooh. have been missed in this time. Uh, and the first one is favorite anarchist, which is apparently you. Oh, my goodness. I'm slightly jealous. <laughs> 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 um, but it's because uh, you do a very good job of... of Picking anarchist topics and, and and putting it into a way that, oh, that makes sense and not so hypothetical. Mm-hmm, so good mm-hmm. job. Uh, I would recommend you, you uh, read up on some theory. I mean, anarchy as a philosophy has been around since the mid-1800s. Because people have been doing that a whole lot better than I have this entire time. Uh, <laughs> so if, if you're interested, please go out and enjoy. Uh, also... I mean, it's weird because I don't think of myself as an anarchist. I try not to label myself because I'm not that smart. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, thinking of oneself as something is a lot different than like views aligning. 
I mean, certainly fellow travelers. I'm an ally to anarchists. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so favorite thing about uh, 2020, Riv got a great girlfriend, got two cats. Oh my goodness. Uh, we got pictures. They are very cute. Cats are named uh, Punk and Daddles. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're great names for cats. Uh, Riv also moved out, uh, left their retail job, and... Good things happened through the year, which is awesome. Uh, and then favorite favorite safety regulations, temperature checks when you walk into buildings. Mm. Yeah, so thank you for writing in, Riv. I'm glad your year's been going as well as it can, and I love the cats. Yes. I love the cats. So happy you're providing them a home and lovely uh, stuffed animals to cuddle. Yeah, very cute. Isaac writes in to note that thinking of a favorite safety regulation, odd question, you don't get that one every day, <laughs> but theirs would have to be uh, hand railings. Very appreciated. Uh, I was taking the trash out uh, before we uh, uh, did this recording, and if we didn't have hand railings down the stairs, I might have died. I fell down our stairs last <laughs> week, and I would really like it if we had hand railings on both sides, honestly, because... I wouldn't have fallen if that was the case. <laughs> so there you go. They work. There, there's a personal uh, uh, testimonial for hand railing. So my favorite safety regulation, I think, is expiration dates. Yeah. 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 I threw out Especially, some salad dressing last week. Especially on dairy products. <laughs> I, if there's a gene out there to be able to smell if dairy's gone bad, I don't have it. <laughs> Until it gets to an extreme case. And then, like, you don't need to smell it. You can just look at it and you're like, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> um, but it's the before then part that I am so screwed with. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. Uh, Ollie writes in uh, and shares uh, a story or a fun fact that they were, were reminded of uh, in connection to the tomatoes. Uh-huh. And that is that in the Victorian era, tomatoes uh, were apparently placed on the mantle for good luck. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they got old and moldy. So they started putting fabric tomatoes. Okay. And apparently that is like what led to the tomato pincushions because That's, people displayed like their expensive <laughs> on the mantle and mm -hmm. uh, their expensive stuff on the mantle. Oh, you already did once before. It's oh, fine. Okay. And the seal has been popped. <laughs> but at the time, like, needles and pins were pricey, so they started putting, like, them in there and uh -huh. displaying them. Oh. And that's where you get the pincushion. <laughs> that is interesting. Thanks, Ollie. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, like all these fine folks, you can send that to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we, we want to hear your questions, your your stories, tomato-based or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, uh, any, any show suggestions, any uh, corrections, and also uh, responses to our regular prompts. Do you have a prompt for us? I'd like to know everyone's favorite monk. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay, I'm anticipating not a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> But whatever emails we get, we will get from historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook-ish. Uh, and those are all at History Honeys. 
Mm-hmm. While you are joining that conversation, you can also have conversations about us. That is right. Talking to people, word of mouth uh, is how we grow our show, how we meet new friends, lovely, lovely friends like yourselves. Uh, yeah, and if you don't want to talk to your friends, you can just leave us a rating and review uh, wherever you, you know, get our podcast from. Talk to the whole world at large simultaneously. Yeah. The world is your oyster. It, it's the promise of the digital frontier. Ooh. <laughs> and with that, uh, uh, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your, your honey. honey.